Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to introduce Mike O'Hagan. And he is uh, Mike's Manella Tours, started some multi-million dollar companies, mini movers, and many other things. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Fantastic. And I thank you for taking the time. I know you're in Hong Kong right now, and it's four in the morning, and that's uh, it's early for me. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you on board. I've always been an early riser. You get more done in the morning than you do in the night, and uh, I get up and work uh, work away at my little computer until about till everybody else gets up, and then I have breakfast with everybody else, and uh, the day begins and everybody disrupts me. It all slows down then. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what time do you go to bed at night being up so early? Uh, yeah, Look, nine or ten o'clock, uh, I'm I'm done. Uh, even if it's a function, and I try and get away from the function, nine or ten mm-hmm. o'clock, I'm over. I do sleep well and get good sleep. Always have done. Oh, that's great, fantastic. I like to sleep at least seven and a half hours. It sounds like you're yeah, a little less. Yeah, maybe a bit less, but it's always it's always solid, and I've never had a sleeping problem. So it's just the early morning is when when my mind's most fertile. When I seem to be able to get things done, nobody's disrupting me. All right, uh, Mike. Let's just go back to maybe your your beginnings when you first started, like thinking like an entrepreneur. Were you one of these that uh, had the uh, Lemonade stands uh, and that sort of thing when you were a little kid, or well, yeah, I was actually. I, I was selling mushrooms. I, I come. I'm, I was born in a Kiwi and on a dairy farm, and we used to have uh, mushrooms grew massive, grown numbers of mushrooms would grow once a year. And uh, I used to get my brother to go out and, and pick them and put them all in a wheelbarrow, and then I'd get him to wheel them all up to the main road, and we'd stand up on the road with a, a sign up selling mushrooms. I, I was a mushroom seller, but that went away. Uh, I think uh, the schooling system and the high schooling system knocked that out of me unfortunately and I uh, then left school early, uh, 14, 15 years of age when I left school and did a trade as you did because your parents, your father put you into a trade because I wasn't wasn't doing that well at school I suppose. What trade did you get into? Uh, electrician. I did, oh, okay. a, did a trade as a, as a sparky, as an electrician. Then um, went on and did a whole lot of different jobs and worked for some really bad employers, worked for some good ones, and got a lot of the work ethics and the how I create workplaces later out of that period of my time. You learn out, out of good and bad, of course. Um, 28, I went into my very first business uh, because I wanted to be my own boss, a really mm-hmm. stupid reason for starting a business, I can tell you. I um, did quite well with that. I... Um, Grew that to a, a little shop. It was a little, little retailing type operation. I grew that to three shops very, very quickly. But I ended up working 80 or 90 or 100 hours a week, seven days a week, and getting two days off a year, being a Christmas Day and another day in Australia called Anzac Day, which is an important day. Mm-hmm. And uh, was only earning the same amount of money as my staff who were only working 40 hours a week, which is pretty close to the definition of stupidity. Unfortunately, what a lot of small business people are trapped in. So it was then at the age of 34 that I became an entrepreneur. That's when I saw the light. I suddenly thought, this is a really stupid thing. What am I doing here working all these hours and only earning? I didn't, never wasn't running at a loss. I wasn't being financially struggling. I, I was just earning a, a normal wage, unfortunately, uh, but working twice as hard as everybody else. And um, I just sort of suddenly realized I wanted out of life a lifestyle 
that gave me a lot more than that. I, I happened to like fast cars and big boats and big houses, and uh, and that was that lifestyle thing. And I suddenly realised at the age of 34, for the first time in my life, why am I doing this? What am I doing? I had the, one of those me moments, and uh, and realised that really I wanted the better things out of life, a better lifestyle. And uh, that's when I worked out that I needed to have a business that I could scale, that I could grow, and that I didn't have to work in, so that I would have the freedom and the money to do whatever I felt like in life. And it was that aha moment at the age of 34 when I think I became an entrepreneur. And from there, I started growing businesses, real businesses. And when you, and when you say scaling, explain scaling for the people for a second. If you would. Oh, something that you can sell. It's easy to sell and easy to produce that you could multiply and do over and over again so you can sell more and more and more of them. Um, and the business was a company called Mini Movers, which I still have today, um, 30 years later. Mini Movers is a short-distance furniture, direct furniture moving uh, business, uh, movers, moving business, and um, I've never moved furniture. To this day, I've still never moved furniture. I, by accident, discovered that the way they were doing it in those days, there was a better, easier way of doing it, and I just got one truck and got some guys in it and started moving, and then I started experimenting and working at it, and then, then got another truck and worked out that, and then... As each problem came up, how to, how to get staff came up, how to buy trucks came up, as each problem came up, I found a way around it that was innovative and clever and, and I was able to get more and more and more and more and more and uh, I've got 130 trucks and 400 staff. Um, at my peak, we had 500 staff and a $30 million a year turnover. And that, as I said, that's still one of my businesses today. Um, um, I did it because I could scale it up. I don't love moving furniture, believe it or not. I have no love for that at all. My love is for making money and uh, having a lifestyle. All right. Uh, on a, in a business like this, what kind of percentage of profit can a person expect normally? Net profit, probably in the order of 10%. I've always liked 10% net profit. Okay, all right. So $3 million a year profit out of the 30 then? Yeah, but about half that I used to churn back in, uh, and half that I'd take out and, and pay myself. Oh, I'm doing very well out of it, extremely well out of it, actually. Um, so, so it's, yeah, it's a good business. So you kept growing and you kept uh, putting more into it, okay. Yeah, it was slowed right. down in recent. The GFC stood it on its uh, nose. And now, what is the GFC? Whatever it is, with the big downturn that we all had in 2009, 2010. The crash, okay. The crash. Right. You call it the crash, okay. okay. We call it the GFC. Um, right. uh, global Financial Crisis, that's what it stands for, Global Financial oh, okay. Crisis. Yes, yeah, um, okay. So you guys, it wasn't global to us, it was global, okay. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that stood it on its head and it went through some big changes after that. It, uh, we had a market reduction of about 60% almost overnight uh, as the residential buying and selling market, the real estate market uh, dramatically slowed down and of course the number of moves slowed down at the same time. So, But uh, you know, one of the cities that we operate in, in Australia, we were moving a thousand house loads a week when that thing hit us. So it was quite a big uh, big downturn to us indeed. Mm -hmm. but, uh, no, the business still survives today, it's just a bit smaller, that's all. So you recovered like to 80% or something it sounds like? Yeah, yeah. We, um, I took some pretty dramatic action. I um, at the time it hit with us, I had a non-executive non board in place. I, I had sort of semi-retired out of the business. Uh, in fact, I was over over in, in the States at MIT doing a program in entrepreneurship and uh, did a three-year program in entrepreneurship in, in, in MIT in Boston and uh, and was becoming a very globalized business. I was starting to study business more formally. And uh, I put in a, a non-exec board, a non-exec chairman and non-executive directors, which is a formal board 
although I had 100% of the shares, I would appear at the, at the board meeting and, and, and only at the board meeting, and that was it. I kept out of it and let them run it. Unfortunately, when the uh, big downturn hit, that method of business is not the guy, people involved. The people involved were fine. The actual methodology behind having a committee running your business was not a very good way to deal with uh, things that you needed to do action. And when you the entrepreneur and you makes decisions that are bold and risky, but when things are that bad, bold and risky works, uh, sitting down trying to study it and and come up with a, a solution through studying things isn't going to work when you've got a downturn like that. So I, the board moved on and I moved back into the business. Uh, I moved a whole back-end process up to the Philippines, uh, mm-hmm. offshored it, and in a very short period turned the whole company around and um, got it back up. And today it's got a, a large chunk of its um, uh, back-end operations in the Philippines and in, in Australia. Basically, it's got guys moving furniture. And why did you go to uh, the Philippines? Yeah, the Philippines is a um, third largest English-speaking country in the world. It was a colony of the USA since 1897, so that goes back a long, long way. And you guys, the Americans, ha- had um, put the... Uh, it's, when you colonise the place, you immediately put your uh, education system in. You made it compulsory. You made it compulsory in English. So there's 107 million people in the Philippines, of which the vast majority speak English, all been educated in English, and the wages are phenomenally lower than they are uh, anywhere else. Uh, and you can get really, really good university qualified workers for $100 a week, and uh, they're willing to work, they're keen, they're very smart. They just don't know our systems and our processes, but if we can show them our systems and processes, they pick it up very quickly and they make fantastic workers for us. Uh, do you find that uh, as they pick it up, they realize, gee, I can do this myself? Well, yeah, they don't seem to that way, but so we're putting them into businesses where it's hard for them to do that. That is happening. That's emerging now. Look, the, the offshoring market in the Philippines is, at the moment, there's about what, 1.2 million Filipinos working for Western businesses. That's growing at more than 20% a year. So it's a massive, great movement. Now, it's part of this globalization thing that's happening, where the huge opportunities are in business right now are in globalization. You know, the internet connectivity together, the, the borders are dissolving. You know, the world has gone flat. Is be all becoming one. We're now buying stuff, we're manufacturing stuff, and we're selling stuff anywhere in the world within a minute. You know, that's what Amazon are doing, and, and all, all those businesses, Google, and all those businesses are selling stuff around the world in, in a nanosecond. Part of that is we can now employ people anywhere in the world just as quickly. Big corporates 20 years ago moved all their back office processes into India, Poland, and Ireland, and all those countries. They moved all their structured processes over. As the as it's evolved five or six years ago with cloud computing, now small businesses can do the same thing, even micro businesses. And uh, and you know, business is changing. A lot of you guys are now operating from home. You couldn't operate from home 20, 30 years ago. Now you can. And the whole thing's just evolving into this. Um, thing that is connected thing where you can do that so philippines is sitting ideal for that it's one of the cheapest countries in the world and it uh, speaks english it's educated in english so that, that's a huge plus for it well even the big conglomerates that seem to move not just part of their stuff their headquarters over there so they'd pay tax there rather than here yep um the tax system worldwide is being stretched by this it's changing, you know, and the legal system's changing as well and making it more difficult, you know. If you, how do you enforce a contract in another country? Well, you can, but it's very expensive. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. If it's a cheaper deal, it's not worthwhile going legal. 
Therefore, it's all done on trust and it's coming back to the trust factor. And trust is working. It's working quite well. You know, most of us avoid law because, uh, I don't know, we all know that if you want to go and burn money, just go near a lawyer and uh, have the ability to, to get money out of you. So in business, I've learned a long time ago to avoid lawyers. Uh, you know, we've all done the, the I think, in, been in business as long as we as I have, I'm sure most people have been in business over 30 years of being getting t- tangled up in the legal system occasionally. Sure. And, and you always end up second off. It doesn't matter whether you, and there's no winners. There's never any winners. Yep. Um, yep. And there's just some people burning money. So you just keep away from that. So it goes back to trust. Uh, so the legal system's become a, has, is changing a lot, and of course tax is changing as well. Um, but while we're residents of the countries we live in, we ultimately pay tax at uh, at our local rate of tax, which is what Americans do and Australians as well. But I think in the United States, if you have a company out of the country, then I think you get some exemptions right away, like the first fifty thousand you don't pay any tax on or something. I don't know what it is at right now, but at least that's what it was like at one time. Yeah, look. Hong Kong's the flavour of the month, and that's one of the reasons I'm here. I've actually got a couple of Hong Kong companies, so I do have companies overseas. Um, what you can do is you can hold your profits in those companies, and, and you don't pay – effectively, you don't pay tax till you take it out of the company, so you can hold it offshore – and thing, but as soon as you take it out, uh, being a resident, that's when you pay tax on it. That's the personal tax we're talking about. Uh, of course, the company taxes are phenomenally um, attractive in these countries. That's why they do it, and that's how they do it. So setting up companies overseas is, um, particularly Hong Kong and Singapore, uh, Americans is quite common, um, and it's very, very common for Australians as well, is sort of the flavor of the month at the moment. There are some advantages in it. I wonder what uh, a small company, what level is it worth a company starting to look at that? I mean, again, I think like you're saying, if you made a million profit, you only took 200000 out and left the other 800000 in, then it could multiply and wouldn't be taxed, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. my favorite joke about that is your kids get to pay it. <laughs> yeah. And, and when we're a different society than my parents, I don't care what my kids cop when, they, when I go on. That's their problem, not mine. So uh, it, ultimately it has to be taxed somewhere. At some stage, someone's got to touch it. But yes, you can hold it out. But you can use it to buy other companies as well, which is interesting. So, look, I don't think you'd have to be that big to make it worthwhile. It's, uh, listen, the main reason to do it's not tax. The main reason to do it is, is asset protection. It's a brilliant vehicle for asset protection. You think if you're a, an internet company and you live in the cloud, which a lot of businesses mm-hmm. today literally live in the crowd, they don't have a physical presence, everything. Everything's transacted in the internet. Everything's done in the internet. If you do that, you're better off incorporated in Hong Kong. Why? Because if anybody sues you, they have to sue you in Hong Kong. And you can't stop people from suing you. You can have all the contracts in the world and you can't stop them from suing you. If they sue you, and they sue you in Hong Kong, if they did sue you and went through and they were successful in suing you, then what are they going to do? They're gonna, not going to tap your private assets, right? And, uh, yeah, because it's an incorporated company, you just close it down. Well, we're finding now in Australia, the governments are changing the laws more and more and more to get into the shareholders and definitely to the directors of the company to go past that shield from the private assets. You know, there's certain things in Australia, if you do things that uh, the, co- the incorporated structure won't stop it, it'll still come back and they can, they can go your private assets. And that's driving more and more people up into Hong Kong from Australia because it just separates it if they win a court case in Hong Kong. Hong Kong, they're not going to come and take my house in Australia. And that's uh, perfect asset protection. Where do you think the line is to go to the Hong Kong route? 100,000 profit a year, 50,000? Oh, yeah, in that order, I would think, once you get 
it depends. You have to look. There's a lot, lot to it. You've really got to get good advice on this. You've got to be trading overseas to make it worthwhile as well. You can't just do it out of your own country. You can employ people out of your own country. That's where the huge savings are being made at the moment. But the, the overseas company structures work better if you're actually trading globally as well. Okay. Well, you say you like the the, um, the lifestyle. You're not so worried about what you're doing, but the lifestyle of what particular work would do. What would you recommend of all the things they could do right now? They've just retired. They maybe were an expert. Maybe they were uh, a fireman, so they know how to run a firehouse, but uh, there's not much. Now, they could go back and, and do consulting there or something. What of all the choices you have there could they jump into? I, I think the first thing you've got to do is think globally. Just being local now is, is in business is just not there anymore, you know. If you used to be a bookshop, uh, your local little neighborhood bookshop, well, you're being, you're being uh, attacked by Amazon, you know. It's all coming out mm. of the it's, world's changing. It's a big world now, and you can do things around the world and overseas easy now and just locals just too small so i think there's two mantras at the moment in, in entrepreneur world that are worth looking at the first one is um the chinese thing i think we've spent the last decade buying from the chinese i think we're going to spend mm -hmm. the next decade selling to the chinese so finding something you can sell to china is a big boom right now and uh, i've got several friends that have built very recently very very successful businesses uh, in selling stuff to the Chinese um, there's, what do you uh, sell them well we can sell them organic stuff out of Australia because they can't manufacture that themselves so uh, organic makeup is one that's been making a lot of money I've got a, a friend that's selling weight loss powder into China it's making a lot of money out of doing that um, what is it white, 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 weight loss powder it's powder oh, for weight loss. Yeah, okay. weight loss uh, for losing weight um, the Chinese have a tendency not to trust their own food manufacturing since the uh, Malamine scare, uh, scare yes, when they had that problem with uh, stuff being added to the milk and the babies died. Um, very sad, but it meant that they didn't trust their own food manufacturing. They're looking for more pure and more guaranteed foods uh, around the world. So that gave them the opportunity to, to get, to believe it or not, weight loss powder into into China, out of Australia, of course. But uh, And there's an emerging middle market in China that's huge, absolutely huge, and growing very, very rapidly. And they become consumers, you know. The Chinese are changing. They're now the consumer middle market consumers in China will, will pay $100 for a pair of knives he's sitting right next to a $10 copy and they don't want the copy they want the real thing so they're emerging and there's massive opportunities there but I think where the other big opportunity and the real easy opportunities for for small people for small businesses to start or to start something you know bootstrap from next to nothing which is uh, I, I do that pretty well with all my businesses um, is in make it in the east and sell it in the west so when you've got when workers in the Philippines are being paid $100 a week um, and, and, you know, they're costing how much they cost in the West, 500 600 $700 a week or somewhere around about there, maybe more. And then there's a gap in between. And there's a lot of things being done in the West that can be done a lot, lot cheaper in the Philippines. And if you can do that, then you can make money, you know. Um, simple stuff like building websites. You wouldn't want to be a website builder in the West anymore. Why? Because there's $100 a week website builders in the Philippines who are very, very capable. They just need somebody to organize them and give them the work. You can sell that into the West very, very easy, and, and the gap in between is your profit for you. Very, very easy to do. So how would someone find these people in uh, Philippines that, let's say, were experts uh, creating web, uh, websites? 
Well, look, there's, there's seven different ways of, of hiring people offshore, and depending on what you need and what you're going to do as to what you use, um, if you want to build a team, your own team in your own space is the most productive way of developing a business by far. Then you're going to have to use a staff leaser or a seat leaser, a middle party to be the legal entity. You don't, don't incorporate in these countries. You don't want to do that. You use another party to be the legal entity, and then you can do that. There are simple ways of doing that. That's what I teach them. I actually teach that today, teach Westerners mm -hmm. how to do that. But the other way of doing it to start with, the simple way, um, is a company called Odesk. Um, Odesk uh, is an American company that's a portal for people working anywhere in the world. You can go into it's odesk odesk.com odesk uh, claim that they've got 2.7 million people working for them which is a big number uh, I think they just didn't they just amalgamate into another group for yeah something? they've gobbled everybody up they took out elance um, there's, so there's the two big ones at the moment are an Australian company called Freelancer.com and, and Odesk. Odesk is winning at the moment, but the two of them seem to be emerged from everything else and pulled all the small ones together. It's a serious operation, but you can go into Odesk and hire somebody anywhere in the world within minutes. I'm using Elance when I hire right now. Well, Elance, really... Elance is owned by Odesk. So am I better off to go to Odesk then? No, no, no. They've kept them. They've kept the operating systems separate, but they they're 100 percent owned by each other now. Or oh, sorry, not by each other. Uh, Elance is small compared to Odesk. Odesk is huge. So I, I'm better off to deal with Odesk then. Slightly right. different. They're slightly different in the way they do it. I like Odesk because I, I started with Odesk and I like the tracking systems. I like the way they do it. Elance works more on lump sum payments and stuff like that. And that's to my way of thinking when I used it. It's the same thing, but you can go in there and you're, you're using it, using Elance. You can go in there and hire people just like that, and you can hire them in many cases a, a lot cheaper than you can where you live. That's this great business opportunities in that. They really are. So what you're saying is uh, if you could assemble, I just don't know how, how you're going to keep people from going around you, but so you could create a company of five people that are experts at creating websites, and they can produce them for you for $100, and you can get 500 for them. So you just go out and find the business and feed it to them. I'm an entrepreneur. So very quickly, if I was an ODES worker, it wouldn't take me too many weeks to figure out, oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> I can do this, but maybe most people don't think that way. At the moment, and it is changing, at the moment they seem to have the inability to sell direct. Look, the world's changing in that area. I think one of the areas you should watch is Alibaba because what's happening is uh, the Chinese manufacturers have not figured out how to sell direct. When they sell, figure out how to sell direct, then it's going to really rock the retail chains. It really is because you'll be able to buy direct out of China. You can now, but nowhere near the scale that we believe it can be done. So they can't sell. It's just the, the one thing that they hurdle they do seem to be able to jump over is to be able to sell directly so yeah they don't they don't seem to get around to doing that there's very few places and there are places in the philippines that are building websites for instance that listen just to use websites as an example there are you can do it with anything you can do it with architects you can do it with anything that faces a computer Anything facing a computer could be done overseas at a fraction of the price of where you are, and there's now profit in the middle between. Anything at all. All right. So, uh, and I'm familiar with Alibaba as far as uh, you know buying, and they they just became a, a much bigger organization recently, didn't they, Alibaba? They listed on the uh, on the uh, yeah stock exchange stock exchange in America. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me just ask you this. Uh, we've got someone. He's 60 years old. He says, "Hey, I can go anywhere in the world right now for a couple of years." Uh, I can stay here and do it, or I could go to the Philippines and create a group there. Or, if if you were 
footloose and fancy free, where would you go right now with the climate of the world? What, what countries would you pick on? The Philippines for sure, mainly because it's such a large repository of English-speaking people. And they're very much our culture. They're a Christian country, 88% are Catholic. That means that they have a very similar culture to us, uh, a similar mm. way of thinking. And as, like I said, there's 107 million of them. Um, uh, got massive numbers available. Uh, unemployment's quite high. So in this big feeds, the uh, average age in the Philippines is 23.3 years and dropping. In other words, they're, uh, they're, they're multiplying very, very quickly. Two-thirds mm. of Filipinos are less than 15 years old. So there's a massive feed coming into the market. And so it's not going to push wages up at all. I think that's the, I think it's the country of choice at the moment for everything offshoring. I think you can go there. I think you, I, I actually run uh, business tours there today. Uh, I, live in, I live in Manila today. I have a home in Australia and uh, I, I have a condo in, in, in Manila. Spend most of my time in Manila. Uh, I do that because it's close to, to Asia and I do a lot of traveling and I, I have a lot of time off and look around and do things like that. I think that's the country of choice for doing anything facing a computer. I think go and look. Like I said, I run business tours there. Mike's Manila Tours is a, a business I run there where I get um, uh, every second week or so, I get a, about eight um, Western business people, um, pre-startups, small, medium, large, even public listed companies come up on my tour and I spend three days. We move around a whole lot of different um, businesses all sorts mm -hmm. of different businesses, completely different, and we, we go in and we look at what they're doing. They're all servicing Western businesses in some way. They're all either they're either Western businesses themselves that have got their own people there servicing themselves, or they Philippine businesses and they've got workers that are servicing Philippine uh, overseas people. We go and look at them. We look at uh, accounting. We look at law. We look at manufacturing. We look at uh, call centers. We look at uh, back office processes. We look at all the different ways things are doing, and, and during that, you really get some really bright ideas of what you can go back and do. You'll suddenly realize the enormity of what it is and the ability of the people and how you can match it and get around it. And we teach you all the things not to do. Unfortunately, there are a lot of traps in that doing that, as, as you would probably realize. There's a bit of a learning curve. When I did it, I went through a learning curve. I make some horrible mistakes when I first started there. And that's what I started sharing with my fellow business people, that these, avoid these mistakes and you can make a lot of money out of this. So that's basically why I run these business tours, so that uh, people learn how to do it, so they don't fall in the trap of the mistakes. And they also learn the, the uh, thing out of it. So it's a business I started two years ago out of nothing. It just started with nothing. I, I went back to Australia and shared what, was, shared what I was doing in the Philippines. Um, I discovered that if you do that, they didn't really get it. They didn't understand it. Uh, like a lot of people listening to this podcast, they probably don't get it. Probably offended by it in a way, but that's okay. It's just the way it is. And then suddenly a group of friends said, look, if it's that good, why don't we come up and have a look? I said, come on up. And so a group of about 10 friends came up. We spent a week going around looking at different businesses, and at the end of that, they absolutely raved. So that, we've never learned anything as much as what we've learned in this week. This is just amazing what we're seeing and what we're learning by seeing and touching. And I realized there was a different way that you can teach and encourage entrepreneurship by taking people and actually showing them and sitting down in a group and talking about what we've seen and sharing between us all, what we've seen and what opportunities were there. And so mm -hmm. it's been a great little business that's taken off and boomed called Mike's Manila what, Tours. Now, what, what is the charge for someone to be on that one of those tours for that week? Yeah, uh, we charge, I think, $2,600 all up. 
you need to be here for a week. It's, the tour itself runs for three days. It runs Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's very, very solid. It starts early and we finish, uh, finish late. So we, we, we start, uh, we go all day without stopping. It, it's full on. It's, it's, um, and then on the Thursday and Friday, you need to sit down and probably go back and visit some of the places that you wanted to go back and have a look at because we do a lot of whirlwinds. We're only in, when we go into a business, we only go in for 15 minutes, half an hour at the most. It's in, have a look, have a quick talk, get a presentation walk around, talk, then go back, sit in our little van together as we drive off to the next place and discuss what we've just seen. So it's full on. Yeah. Well, what I was going to ask is there's other parts of Philippines you might not want to go to because the Internet connection's bad, storms are worse, or, or is Manila the same as all the rest? Is oh, no, look, I, in most cases, a lot of cases, I actually suggest people avoid Manila, but we'll teach that when we're on tour. We actually go to two different cities, and not because of the Internet connection or storms, though, only because it's the big capital city. You know, uh, Manila has uh, 25 million people in it, so it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a big city, it's a third world city, and any large city with that many people in it may not be the perfect place to set up, uh, it, therefore the, the rents are higher, the wages are a bit higher, but you can get smarter people there generally, so depending on what you're building as to where you put it, that's part of the tour, we teach you that, like I said, we go to two different cities so that you get an idea of whether you want to put it in the big capital city or whether you want to put it in a satellite city, a provincial city, which has probably got better workers with a better attitude. Oh, gotcha. I can't remember, but Chris Drucker, doesn't he do something along that line? Yeah, he's, uh, he's, Chris is down in Cebu, but yeah, he, he, he teaches that sort of stuff as well. Yep. Okay. Mm. Uh, but he's not doing exactly what you're doing? No, uh, no. I, no he, he teaches it all online. It's very much the, the virtual model. Um, mm -hmm. I, I made a comment before, if you want to build a team and get real productivity, you've got to put all your people together in one space, which is... So there are seven different ways. What I'm because I'm teaching it and not I don't get any commissions out of where I go. I don't do a commission thing. It's common to do mm -hmm. commission things. So I don't right. do commissions. So I'm actually my bent is to educate and to teach. So what I do, I teach you all seven different ways that you can do it, and we okay. talk about each point for and against each way, and. From there, then you can work out. Most people use two or three different methods at the same time, but until you understand those different ways that you can engage people and points for and against them, then you can make a, a decision that suits what you want to do. I'm going out of my way to teach it by showing it to you, running tours. Okay. Mm. So let, let's take someone here in the U.S. right now. Again, they're retired. They're ready to, they've got a, a little bit of money if they think that they can really make a go of this. So they say, okay, I'm going to go do your tour. I, I know depending on what they're going to get into, what they would need to invest, but how much do you think a person could make a go? What would be the lowest investment do you think a person could make a go of, of this by going to Manila, taking your course, and starting a business there? It doesn't cost very much to set set up the team in, in Manila at all. That's easy done. It's just how much did it cost you to set up your Elance worker? The answer is probably nothing. <laughs> you can just do it that easily. I think uh, today that if you had $10,000, it would be very, very easy to start and scale a business. Very, very simple. I'm a bootstrapper. Um, there's different types of entrepreneurs out there. That's what we like. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, uh, there's different types of entrepreneurs. I'm a systemizer and a duplicator and a bootstrapper. So what that means is I like to find things Look, ultimately what you do is you try lots of things all at the same time, okay? And I'm doing this. So this is why we always look confused and everybody think we're adults with ADD. What we're doing is we're trying lots of things all at the same time. And most of what we try don't work. 
Now, not failures, those things we tried that didn't work, okay? And anybody from the outside would say, he's failing, he's failing, he's not. He's just trying things, and if they don't work, he's dumping them and moving on. So most of the things we try don't work. We dump them and we move on. Sometimes we sign stuff that works. As soon as we find something that works, then we sit down and we start doing it more. And we start systemizing it, and then we build processes, then we systemize it, then we add to it, and we add to it, and add to it. And if we do it cleverly, we can do it in a way that we can bootstrap it. In other words, simply take the profit from it and pour it back into the business to feed growth so we don't have to borrow money, we don't expose ourselves, we're not taking risk. It was just it's all internal. And all of my business has been bootstrapped. Mini Movers was a classic bootstrapping. It started with $200 and a, and a utility truck. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all I had was I had a utility yeah. truck and I had $200 and somebody said they wanted to move. So I grabbed two friends and said, look, go down and move the lady. And I charged them money and I started my business as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it just grew and evolved from that. So bootstrapping, there's a bit of a myth out there that you need a lot of money and you've got to invest the capital to get a return on it. That's just not me. I've never done that. I've, done, I've never liked that model. So you just grow it from there. So I think $10,000 would be easy to start any of these businesses. I think one of the big secrets to starting this business is to not know what you're doing. And believe it or not, I've grown really amazing businesses because I have no idea what I'm doing. Because I don't know what I'm doing, I don't do it the way the rest of the industry does stuck. it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and see, I never moved furniture, so I didn't do it the way the rest of the industry did it. I did it a completely different way. I used mm-hmm. plain common sense, and unfortunately it's not as common as it should be. I used mm-hmm. plain common sense to come up with solutions when I found a problem. For instance, trucks. I didn't want to borrow money to buy trucks, but I just, at the time, there was a lot of financial difficulties going on. There were a lot of young people going out there they were borrowing lots of money and buying trucks and then getting into strife. I used to find these people and hire the trucks off them. Okay? I didn't buy any trucks. So you, you hired a guy with a truck. <laughs> well, I didn't hire them. the guy because most of them I didn't want. I, I only hired the trucks. Oh, uh, you just hired the truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They would have a payment problem. that They would owe more money uh-huh. on the truck than what the truck was worth, and they didn't want to default on the loan. So I would walk in and say, well, look, I, I will, I'll give you a little bit more than what the loan are, so you're actually making a little bit of money out of it, and I can start the truck working next week, which will give you cash flow income, and you can continue on with your payments, and I'll just simply take over. I built the business up to 20-odd trucks doing that. When you did that, did they get the trucks during the night or something, or you had it 24 hours, 24-7? Oh, we used to keep them 24-7. We had a place for them to live at, at night when they used to clean them and everything else. We just simply dry-hired the trucks. We just hired the trucks, and we had yards to, to put the trucks in. It was an innovative solution for scaling a business up without having to invest any money or take any risk. I didn't take the risk. Somebody else took it all. They already took the risk. Yeah. You were just helping them. Yeah. When I got to 20 trucks, then I, then I decided that the business model was viable, and I went to the bank and borrowed the money for a fleet of trucks, and suddenly I came up with a whole fleet of trucks. And everybody wondered where I came from. This whole fleet of trucks just turned up with all the sign writing on them, and suddenly I, I was like a household name. But I, came, I did it because I scaled up by using somebody else's problem and fixing that problem for them. These guys were in strife. They, they needed mm-hmm. a solution. They didn't have work. They had payments. What do you do? I had plenty of work because I had figured that bit out. So I would take over. That's just one of many creative things that I did. Or that's just common sense. To me, that's just mm-hmm. plain common sense. But that's not the way the industry does it. You see, no. but if I'd been in the industry, I would have done it the way the industry does it. So my biggest tip is start something in, in an area that you know nothing about. It's actually a big advantage to you. So go looking for the opportunity. Go and look for the gap in the market, something that's a problem that's irritating people, and then you can find a better way of doing it.
And it's probably very, very close to where you are. It's nothing elaborate. It's not complicated. And whatever you do, try and pick something that's easy to sell, something there's a demand for. Um, it just yeah. If you can get over the selling problem, if it's easy to sell a thing, it's easy to make it, then, then away you go. Nothing's going to stop you. So normally sales is the thing that slows most of us down. We have this great idea. So it's the reason that inventions don't get up and sell. Why? Because while it's a wonderful invention and we can see it and we think, oh, that's amazing, the reality is that people don't want to actually give money for that, whatever it is, right? So there's massive inventions out there that have got up that are fantastic but are just not getting the money that they deserve for them because the people, it just doesn't appeal to the market. So find something that lots of people will give you money for that's easy to produce. The trick is to produce it overseas and sell it here, make it in the east, sell it in the west, and, and then you can scale it up from that. And a lot of those businesses, if, especially if it's a business where most of them are on computers in the Philippines, end up becoming almost virtual business for you that can be done in a, uh, on a computer. Therefore, you can do them anywhere. And there's plenty of people rolling around America in RVs that have got uh, got a laptop computer and an internet connection, and they're still running their business mm-hmm. while they're ro- rolling yeah. around having a retired life in an RV. That's kind of what I do. I live in Manila, and today I'm in Hong Kong. My business is in my little computer here. It probably takes me about an hour, a top it out, one to two hours a day sitting on my computer to, to run my – I have six businesses today in four different countries. I'm operating them all out of a computer the whole lot. And I, that means I can be anywhere. Uh, I've just had six weeks wandering around Laos, Cambodia, Miramar, and, and Thailand, um, based, essentially backpacking through there. I've got my little computer, and as long as I've got my internet, as long as there's internet, I'm a happy little chappy. I, can, I know what my businesses are doing. And you can do that easy. There's no reason why you can't do it. It's just outside your comfort zone of where you've been, and uh, you need to probably get outside that comfort zone, you know? You almost sound single. <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to go back to lots of things. Okay, you're trying lots of things out in different ways. Are you saying that you try out completely different businesses or one business several ways? When you said lots of ways, I wasn't oh, sure. Every, in every way you can cut it. It doesn't matter. Look, and it's parts of what you're doing. It's parts of the process, you know. Look, I'm always trying lots of different business ideas. I, I have a business that, sells, that manufactures and sells deep-sea diving lights, right? I own a 50% of the business. I found a couple of little smart guys that have managed to come up with the very latest technology, the latest battery technology, the latest LED technology, and put together this uh, amazing light that goes down deep underwater. Um, we manufacture them in Shenzhen, China. We warehouse them in China, and we drop ship them, which means we have a warehouse where we can send them by UPS anywhere in the world from there. And Amazon uh, using? Yeah, we, we, we sell them all through the Internet. And then just, no, no, we just do it direct. We have our own, own warehouse there, our own little part of a warehouse. It's, a, it's just quite an easy thing to do now. But, you know, how we did that, we've, we experimented. We've just, right at the moment, we've just launched a new model and we've put it in Kickstarter and, and funded it through Kickstarter and pre-sold a whole lot of the new model through Kickstarter, actually, to be honest with you. And, uh, how did, that go? So how did the Kickstarter campaign go? Interesting, very interesting. You it's a marketing exercise, to put it mildly, and the trick is to try and do something to generate a lot of interest right at the start, which ranks you up inside the Kickstarter program, which makes you get noticed. So the trick is to, to rally your friends and rally all of your contacts and have them hit it really hard in the first few days to give you the momentum to get going. If you can overcome that problem, that's the, that's, I think that's the secret of the trick, trick to Kickstarter that I can see, that I learned through this whole exercise. But see, I'm doing all these things all the time. I'm trying them 
the amount of money that I'm spending on some of these things is very, very little compared to what I've got. So I'm, I'm not um, I'm not risking the whole lot. If I drop a, you know a few grand here or a few thousand dollars there, it doesn't worry me a great deal. So I'm trying things all the time, but I'm doing it in an affordable way. I don't put everything into one basket and do one thing. I think the global financial crisis taught me a big lesson that I had at the time. Mini movers, my moving business was my only business, and I really quickly learned out of that, okay, we've got to be very careful of big, big changes here. I need diversification, so I need to come up with other ways. So, And I've, since then, I've just been constantly running along, trying to find opportunities, finding the right people. A lot of it's got to do with the right people. If you've got really good people in place, um, these businesses will grow very well for you. So I typically have other people do everything, by the way. I don't do anything myself. I am an entrepreneur. I do have in my psyche, and I do it to this day, I have this um, view that I want to earn a crap load of money every week but not have to work. doesn't mean to say I don't work. I didn't say I was lazy. I just said mm-hmm. I don't have to. I can get up in the morning and decide, yeah. no, nah, I want to go fishing or no, I want to go to there or whatever I want to do. I want to be able to get up every morning and decide what I feel like doing today, you know? Now, freedom is everything. <laughs> I agree. Well, that's where I'm at. And I went, went about doing that. So you can't do that if you work in your business. And that was that lesson I learned in that first business I had when I was working 100 hours a week and earning the same amount of money as my staff are only working 40 mm-hmm. hours a week. My big lesson was don't get trapped in your business. Don't have it consume all your time. Now, just listening to you there, it sounds like if a person doesn't have a lot of disposable income to initially start, that the product method is going to take a little bit too long and going to be a little more involved where if he went to the service, like example, like you say, hiring uh, people at $10 an hour and, and then hiring them out at 100 is probably the way a person should go is the service end, I would think. Is that right? Or? Oh, as a generalization, without doubt, service service businesses are the, the go and the growth at the moment, and they can be set up with very little and growing very, very rapidly. So I would suggest you service anything with a product where you've got to produce, like my deep-sea diving lights. Yes, we had a, a reasonable investment up front to get the first lot manufactured, and there was a risk factor there. So I think that's correct. I think anything in the service sector is definitely easier to bootstrap than the product sector, without doubt. Okay, so again, taking some of our folks here, they're saying, okay, I need to start making money. I can go anywhere and do whatever I got to do. Do they need to go to Manila, for example, and do this, or could they say, okay, I'm going to start doing this from the U.S. Here, uh, I mean, is there big advantages right. to doing it one way or the other? Look, yes, yes, you can do it with, by sitting at home, not going out and doing anything, and quite a few people do. I would suggest if you came to Manila and went on tour, you'll suddenly see how others are doing it, and the learning from those three days will hold you instead for everything you're going to do. You're just going to suddenly go, I get it. I see it. I can clearly see what I'm capable of doing. Then you can go back and sit in the sit wherever you are in the world and set it up and do it easily. So the thing was that when I first started in the Philippines and I, I started getting some success out of it, I went back and shared it with my business colleagues in Australia, my friends. I belong to lots of business groups and I, I'm a big networker as such and went back and shared it with my networks and they didn't get it. They didn't understand what I was saying until they came up on tour and then they suddenly got it. So to learn... I suggest you would go to Manila and come on one of my tours. And then once you've got that, then you can go and, and you'll get it. You'll, you'll get a product, you'll get an idea, you'll go click, 
you'll get several of them probably, not just one. Then you can go back and start prodding, prodding and playing with it and figuring out if you can sell it. I'm a big believer in trying to sell it before I make it. I like to prove things before I commit to them. How would you do that with a light, like for example, this lights that you did? How did you prove it before you started making it? How did you get that? Build a, a, an essentially a false website and actually make sales that don't process the money, but make sales or attract customers and make a sale, then turn it all off and go and build the light. Okay. So, in other words, if there's not enough sales, uh, next project. Yes, exactly right. That's a very clever thing. Can we sell it? Okay, let's go out and prove that we can sell it. Yes, we can sell it. Good. Let's go and make it. It's called Ready, Fire, Aim, right? And it should be the way yeah. we do everything. We get ready, we fire it, and then we aim it. Yeah, and I read that book. It was a good book. It was a good book. It was a good book, okay? Yeah. So just, I'm just trying to grasp another question there about that. The idea is in front of you. Can I, I'll say this about where the business opportunities are. They are common things that you do every day. It's very, very difficult to sell something that's new and innovative. It's completely never been heard of before. That's why inventions don't get up. So I can suggest that the opportunities are common. I make money out of moving furniture. It's not an unusual thing to do. I just move a lot of it. I'm a very large yeah. company doing it. Why? Because I figured out how to do one, and then I figured out how to do two, and then after that, and as I, we, we systemized purchasing trucks. We completely systemized it. We systemized each part of it as we needed to. We, oh, we did that. And, but remember, or we, we remind you that most of the things we tried did not work. We were constantly <laughs> doing stuff. And if you looked at us, you think, oh, these guys are failing. Look, they opened up there and then they closed it down. We learned not to open up a business in that area, right? <laughs> we we learned out of everything we did. <laughs> you didn't stick around for 10 years to find it wasn't working. That's right. You know, if the horse is dead, get off it and go and find another one, okay? <laughs> Don't keep riding dead horses, okay? And, and there's yeah. lots of dead horses out there. So Boy, it, honestly, the way forward is out of from experimentation we go through life by experimenting and doing what we do very few of us end up in life doing what we thought we were going to do when we went to high school i find it a bit strange in, in high school where they say to us oh look you know you've got to choose the right subjects at high school for the career for the for the rest of your life there's only people in the professions that do that doctors and lawyers at high school knew what they were doing and when they retire probably still doctors and lawyers a very tiny part of the whole population all the rest mm -hmm. of us all the rest of us fall into wherever we are from the opportunities that came our way from whatever we were doing that means that we are the sum total of the opportunities so the trick is to try and ramp up the number of opportunities and the more opportunities coming your way the more you can pick the more you can select the more you can grow and where you want to go in life and it's as simple as that no age in life does that methodology stop that's great information uh, one question i had was that i was trying to remember and here's what it is what made you decide on diving lights you're a diver and the lights weren't very good you were using or no, how no. did you come to yeah, that, that, that was a good idea. I do a bit of public speaking occasionally, and uh, I was speaking at this uh, function, and a young guy um, came up to me afterwards and said that he had this clever little product. I get a lot of that, so I do occasionally have a quick little look, and I had a quick little look and thought it was quite cool. Um, then hired 
somebody in the Philippines to go through and data mine every single deep sea diving light in the in the world and put them all into a big spreadsheet, which they took two days to do. It cost me, I think, thirty dollars, and came back with a big spreadsheet of every single diving light that's available, how much they were selling them for, who was making them, where they were being sold. I had a, a snapshot of all that, and I could see a clear gap in the market. Did you we set up a website and tried some sales first? We didn't actually use a website, but we did. We set we made some um, prototypes. Some prototypes and then took them around and actually sold them, took them to diving shops and actually sold them uh, and proved them that way before we, we took the next step, yeah. All right. Okay, I'm just curious, uh, uh, you know, how, how you got there. Mm. So what you're saying is look at anything that's not working well, any product. Uh, it could be uh, if you can figure out another way of flipping eggs without flipping them. Mm. <laughs> you flip the pan instead of the eggs or whatever. You look at what what's around you that's not working well. Yeah, look, the opportunities are things that are frustrating people. For instance, wages frustrate people. So there's a cheaper way of doing wages. You can do it in the Philippines a lot cheaper. So there's a frustration. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of different frustration and fix that and you'll be able to grow and scale it. And it's, it's all about doing it a better or a different way. You've got to be better and different. You can't think. So the businesses that are small are generally what I call copycat businesses. They're businesses that are started, for instance, tradesmen electricians, plumbers, etc. They have a specific way they do things. They all do it exactly the same way and therefore very few of them ever actually really grow. Okay? Mm-hmm. Because they're the same as everybody else. They're not different. Yep. So you've got to come up with a different way of doing that. I probably would build a website that organized all that stuff and just selling it just selling the services in the middle would be nothing. I'd be, you know, uh, there's many, and there's hundreds of websites doing that now, I know that, but uh, there's just a different way of doing everything. You can just see that there's a be- better way of building something, a better way of doing it. you just got to find that, that little niche, and it's usually out of a frustration. It's normally out of a frustration. I just want to say I did work with attorneys at one point, and uh, someone at church said, you know, I want to get out of the uh, government attorney business and I want to start my own attorney location and so he asked me if I could do it and I said yeah I could do it and then for two months I did it the traditional way so I, you know I raised 40,000 Habitat for Humanity and I got him to become president of it and we ended up with one customer and he was a freebie so I thought <laughs> okay we're not going <laughs> to we're throw, throwing the books away of how you start an mm. attorney practice mm. I'm going to do it my way online and then the next two months we went to 65,000 a month billing so I figured out really quickly, you guys are doing it wrong. And, of course, all his lawyer friends said, there's no way what Ken's doing is going to work. <laughs> but, well, yeah, it did. That's a good story, and that's a typical story of what I'm talking about. One of the problems you've got is the way they teach business, they actually teach business what I call the corporate business model, which doesn't work when you're small. So the corporate business model would have said, okay, what you've got to do is research your market, prove your market, then build a structured business plan around it, then execute the plan. Well, if you did that, you would have stayed with your first model and gone broke. Why? Because you'd be there happily executing your plan. When it's not bloody working, just stop doing that. Just go and try it. If it doesn't work, you go, hey, look, that doesn't work. I'm backing out of there. I'm not going to do it that way again. I'm going to try this way. I'm going to try this way. You can accelerate it by doing it at the same time. I confuse people that are watching me because I'm doing the same thing three different ways in different directions at the same time. They're going, what's he doing? He's he's doing it here, here, and here, and they're all different. Yeah, yeah. Watch him, why? Because two of those things aren't going to work, and one is, and he'll do the one that works more. You know. <laughs> so I do them at the same time. I don't do them one at a time. It's continuous to this day. We still do that. We're constantly coming up with bright ideas and trying them, constantly. Because you've got to change, you've got to evolve. You know, I think if there's anything our generation has really, really learned is that 
the change is so inevitable and so quickly and so rapidly. Look at where we are now to where we were. I'm, I'm over 60 now and, you know, where we started and what we, were, what we had as little kids and where we are now is beyond anything we could believe. And that change is inevitable and it's changing and it's still evolving. So don't be scared of it. Embrace it. It's the change is the greatest opportunity we've got in business without doubt. Go with it. It means you can't sit still, though. You can't just sit, build a business and sit there and make money off for the rest of your life. It's not going to happen. Something's mm-hmm. going to come along and change it, and the world's going to change. You know, carpet's going to be pulled out from underneath you. Uh-huh. you. You need to be ready, and you need to be evolving and changing constantly, which means you've got to be constantly things. So that's why you need to be working on your business. My role in my business is to sit up on top of them, constantly come up with the bright ideas to try and keep moving out the thing. Run back and drive my people back. He goes, oh, this is a good idea. We're going to do this, this, that. You know? And they all know, my, my direct managers know, he's all right. He's fine. He's just twiddling with something. As long as he doesn't spend too much money and too much profit, we'll let him twiddle away. It's okay. So that's fine. Don't bet the farm. Only, only a little bit of the farm at the time. Bet the farm. I got you. I got you. So, Mike, how would people, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you if they'd like to be part of things you're doing in Manila and, and so on? You can just... Uh, Google me, uh, Mike O'Hagan. Uh, put Google in and I'll come up on LinkedIn and you can contact me through LinkedIn, which is quite simple. But Mike's Manila Tours is Mike's with the plural, M-I-K-E-S, Manila, M-A-N-I-L-A, Tours, T-O-U-R-S.com. Mike's Manila Tours.com is, uh, go through that website. But probably easier to try and get hold of me directly. I'm probably happy to think, uh, as I said, LinkedIn. If you Google me, you'll actually find a website, Mike O'Hagan, with my history and everything on it. Uh, and okay. that, that's got a little form, and you can message me through that form. Any of my websites, you can, can message me through. Put a message in, and believe it or not, it will come through. I have a system set up so that I, I get most of that stuff almost straight away. And I'll personally deal with it. So either mikesmanillatours.com or just put Mike O'Hagan without the apostrophe, just simply Mike O'Hagan into Google. Put it into Google and and I will definitely pop up uh, and you'll be able to track me down off my name on on the internet. Mr. Google knows all. Very, very clever thing. That was a good idea, wasn't it? (laughs) It was a very... Yeah, well, it's interesting about Google because they weren't the first people to start that. They just came along and did it better than what it was being done. We had um, Alta Vista and a whole lot of others before them, and they didn't mm-hmm. quite get it. They didn't quite understand what they were dealing with. They thought they knew what they were playing with it, but they just didn't understand the big picture. But some guys saw the big, big picture and came along. So Google's not a, an originator. It's something that came in and actually did it better than what it was being done and took over the market that way. It's, it just shows that it can be something that's currently being done. There's just a better way of doing it. When Alta Vista was out, I had a computer company, and then I had this guy that was really smart back at that time, and I was the first 100 companies that came up, so you couldn't find anyone else but me. <laughs> <laughs> there, you learned about SEO very early in the piece before it was even called SEO. There you go. <laughs> well, I didn't know what I was doing. I just had to hire a guy that did. <laughs> uh, look, one, one final tip one final tip you don't learn business from books or or from a classroom you learn business from other business people you learn more business Amen. from other business people that's why putting people together in a group on a tour on a business learning tour and sharing in that group as we see each thing works so so well it really does it's the, the power of several sharing it's far far more efficient way of learning business 
And it sounds like you love what you're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I Actually, it's my give back. My give back today is to, to try and create more entrepreneurs. I, I believe our society is very, very focused on creating workers, and workers are not entrepreneurs. And I think we're not that good at creating entrepreneurs. So what I'm trying to do is turn uh, business people, that's people managing their own jobs, into entrepreneurs. That's my give back. I believe the future of the world for my grandchildren can only come from entrepreneurs. It's not going to come from the government or anybody else. It's going to come from entrepreneurs. And the more we create, the more entrepreneurial we create, the better off the world's going to be. You're, you're so perfect for my listeners, I believe. I know you're perfect for me, and I'm, I am one of them. <laughs> well, you put a business that's online, it's, it's, it's fine, it's all growing, and you can sit in your RV anywhere in the world and run your business, and not a problem at all. And, and I suppose, just to, to backtrack a bit, if we take any one of our listeners, let's say he is an expert as an accountant, so he knows American accounting, he knows, let's say, a very special part of accounting, let's say he knows agricultural farms or whatever, he can organize, because he already knows how to do it, what's the right way and what's the wrong way, hire 10 accountants in the Philippines and take over all the farms in the U.S. <laughs> Without doubt, a qualified CPA accountant graduate in, the, in Manila is on $84 per week. How much are you paying for them in the USA? Uh, $84 an hour, I think. <laughs> there you go. There's a small gap, and that's that gap where the profit is. The accountant in Manila will be a grad, and grads are not as clever as they should be. I understand that. They lack the experience. That's the bit you've got to overcome. $84 a week easy. Everybody gets it. But what you've got to do is get their experience level up. So you've got to actually systemize some processes. But that's what I teach. I actually teach how to fix that problem that's in the middle, the bit, that knowledge gap that's missing. They've got the qualification. They've got the desire. The wages are right. They don't understand the actual workplaces that they need to work with, and, and you need to accelerate how to do that. Now, I teach that. That's, that's, that's fine. That's easy to do. And the accountant is already the expert. So yep. he can train these guys. He can say, you know, that's wrong. You've got it this way. And like I say, put some systems in place and have these guys up and running in a couple of months to do the $84 an hour jobs for $84 a week. Yeah. Look, the opportunities are endless. You can go anywhere. You could do it as a single business or you can just do it as an accountancy supplying business. You could come up here. You could actually hire 100 Filipino accountants. Straight out of university means you can get them for six months with no wages. They have an internship system here. So you can get them six months without wages. You can then train them into your industry so they can spell accountancy forwards, backwards, upside down. They understand your, your superannuation, your, your systems. You understand all your, your tax systems and all that stuff they need to learn. You train that into them. Then you've got Americanized accountants all ready to go, a hundred of them, and that's the who have got really, really cheap wages. That's an interesting commodity that you can sell to other accountants. So there's a whole lot of different ways you can do it. Once again, on my tour, we show that, all that stuff. We see all that stuff, not just with accountants. We're doing it with a whole lot of different stuff as well. Then suddenly you'll see it, and you'll get it, and you'll understand. But just an accountant, a guy who's been an accountant for life, who can, wants to get involved and become an entrepreneur, he can do that now. All he's got to do, and that knowledge is inside him, he, uh, he can unlock that knowledge and share it back and make money out of it. That's a great way to move forward. The only thing that bothers me about the whole picture is, after six months and they're totally trained, they don't need me. <laughs> no, no. Look, honestly, that's that's like saying your workers are going to leave you and set up in competition with you. Most of them but don't. But it takes a special person. That's yeah, true. that's right. Look, my, the vast majority of people have been brainwashed in the education system to be a worker, to get the safety of employment. 
the so-called safety of employment to come to work and give 120% and go home. And that's all they want to be. There's a bit of a myth out there that everybody wants to build a career and, and grow more. They don't. Look around you. Most people yeah. are just workers and carry on working. They're happy with their job and, that, and then they build their family and their community and that's what they do. That's what most people want to do. Just because us entrepreneurs want to grow and get bigger and have better things in life doesn't mean to say everybody else wants to do it that way as well. And um, I think we've got a bit of a myth going there that everybody's just waiting to learn what you do and copy it. That's just not the case. We talk about hooks on the business. We talk On my tour, we talk about hooks and locks. Locks are, uh, are things that lock your business and stop your competitors from, from competing with you. They're quite easy to create in many cases. Um, if you do it properly, uh, you, you know, you've got the protection of doing that. So there's different ways of doing it. Look, most employees can see the business model. They just have no interest in doing it themselves. Besides the copycats, if copycats don't get up anyway, copycats will always be second runners. They've got to be innovators and get ahead. Yeah, no, that's true. I uh, just a little bit of the paranoia in me. That's yeah. <laughs> I think paranoia holds you back sometimes. Get gold and do things. Don't worry about the paranoia. But that, that, that's unfortunately that we make excuses or, or um, we, we have yeah. justification for not doing it. And it's so easy to do that when doing it is so easy. Well, your your instructions are so clear, uh, Mike, and uh, and so valuable. I, I see the value in them. I mean, they're what you're telling everyone here is you can do it. It doesn't matter what your field is, and if you have no field and you were a janitor all your life, you can still figure out how to do a business. Yeah, look, you don't need to know your trade. It's it's an asset to you not to know your trade. It's very hard for that accountant to do that. That accountant immediately gave you ten reasons, ten reasons in his mind why that wouldn't work. Right. Uh-huh. Instantaneously. Why? Because of his beliefs around his industry. Because of the way it's always been done. It's drummed mm-hmm. into him. This is the way we do it. He can't get past that. So it's probably not an accountant that's going to do it. In fact, I've got people in, up here that are doing that anyway, building up the accountants and training them up and, and, and selling them on to other accountants. And they're not accountants. They're entrepreneurs. They're like me. They can see it. They don't need to be an accountant to do that. Mm-hmm. You can hire the accountant knowledge easy. That's easy to hire. And you don't need to be an accountant to build an accountancy solution. In fact, you're better off not being an accountant. If you're not an accountant, then you're going to think outside the box. You're going to use common sense. You're going to have a different way of doing it. And it's probably going to be innovative and therefore very attractive to the market. Mm-hmm. And that's probably in, in those businesses where you're restricted somewhat, you're probably better to have the company incorporated over in or, you know, run out of Manila. <laughs> so you won't be tied by some, you know, you can't share revenue and all this stuff. You know? Well, accountancy one's a really good one to pick on because there is an absolute demand for much lower cost reliable accountants that are mm-hmm. better skilled than what you've currently got. So that's the goal. The goal is to try and better skill these than what they've currently got with some set process. So you can go to the small and the medium and small firms and say, look, we've got qualified pre-trained accountants that are quarter of the price you're paying at the moment available to start for you tomorrow. They're your people in your space. You know, here's how you do it, and that's what you can buy. And then you just run the whole thing, and that's easy to do, but the goal is to be better than what you're currently doing them. Give them something yes. better. So it's all and that's about, probably easy to improve on. <laughs> yeah, that's the easy bit to improve, exactly. It's just that so many people do it and don't do it properly. They don't set it up properly. They don't select properly. They, they don't understand that the secret's not in the, the, the cost differences. The secret's in, in, the, in the ability to be able to, to train and get these people to do it all a set way. So, yeah, and you don't have to be an accountant to do that. As I said, it's so easy to do. It's so simple. To, any of these businesses can be done. 
a warning, don't go into the area that you know about. That is that is just the biggest trap. <laughs> it really is. Um, the um, book on systemizing that everybody reads, I can't remember it right at the moment, warns of that. The technician the, uh, has all the different um, categories that people are, of the entrepreneurs and, and um those that grow are not technicians. You need to be outside of your trade. You see it differently, and then you can come up with the solutions. Not a problem. You don't need to know what you're doing. Common sense <laughs> will be a better way of doing it. Well, thank you, Mike, for taking all this time. This was this was fantastic, and I'd like to hopefully in a few months maybe we can talk to you again and see what new things you're doing. <laughs> not a problem. It'll be changed. It's always changing. It's constant change. It's the things and I'm loving life it's really cool at the moment and it's it's great and uh, best to everybody luck if you want to come up on tour and learn how to do this stuff come on over and, and come on my tour you'll do that and uh, and the best of luck to everybody and go on get on guys 60s the start of life god so not the end of life it's, you've, got, you've got all uh, you've overcome a lot of problems in your life to get to where you are come on let's go forward and move from here no problems at all Oh, that's super. Okay, uh, thank you, Mike, and we will look forward to talking again in the future. Indeed, thank you. All right, sir. Bye now. All right. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started, you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.